as we turn our attention once again to God's Word, and we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as I said, I, I would also remind you of the rules of proper biblical interpretation. We need to make sure that we keep passages of Scripture in context. And so I always encourage you, if we're in a passage of Scripture, read the chapter before and the chapter after it, and make sure that you're establishing the context of what is being spoken about. Because D.L. Moody said very wisely, founder of the Moody Bible Institute, that you can prove anything by Scripture. And that's absolutely true, because you can take things out of context and you can make the Bible by force of will say things it doesn't actually say. And so it's important to keep things in context. Secondarily to that, I would also remind you that when you're reading your Bible, you are reading the the English version of a manuscript that most of the time was either in Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic uh, at the time of its origin, and it didn't have the punctuation and all the little titles. So in chapter 11, if your Bible's like mine, it actually has... Uh, a, a title there, it says Head Coverings. And above that is a single verse, and it says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Really, the thought of that verse goes with the last chapter, if you will. And so, Paul is going to start with a statement here in chapter 11, and then he's going to give one of the weirdest examples that, that is found in Scripture about the exercise of liberty. And that's the issue of head coverings and the issue of long hair and these things that seemingly are gender-oriented, and things that we could sit here and haggle over. I want to remind you that that at the end of verse 16, we find the actual instruction to the church, and it says very simply, just don't argue over these things. It's not profitable. But there is a truth that's inside of this passage of Scripture that I believe is timeless. And that timeless message is in the context of imitating Christ. And I would also remind you that in the beginning, He, the Lord God, made them male and female. And He did not make a mistake. And He didn't establish one gender to be over the other in a sense of superiority. Women's minds are not inferior to men's. Men's bodies are not superior to women's. It's not anything like that. The Lord made men and women unique in the way that we have been fabricated by God. And I will draw your attention to a very simple truth. There is no woman here who doesn't have a man to thank for it. And there's no man here who doesn't have a woman to thank for it. We are interdependent. We need each other, and if either of us cease to be, the whole world in one generation will disappear. Because you can't have mankind without man and woman. That's not Jeff. That's what God's Word says. That's not my take on human sexuality. That's what God did when He created men and women. And so the roles that have been created have not been created by a bunch of misogynistic, chauvinistic men and passed down over time. They were created by God, and God passed them down over time. And we, family of God, are to be imitators of God. And if God invented these things, then it's not our place to change them. It is our place to do them. And so this morning, imitating Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time this morning in your word. And Lord, I thank you for the power of your word, the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place. And Lord, we don't want to just be hearers. Uh, We want to be doers. And we pray this morning as we study your word, would it become uh, more than just ink on a page? God, let it become truth in our hearts Help us to implement these things. And so, Lord, we want to be worthy of imitation. As Paul could say that, God, help us to be able to also truthfully say that, that one could look at our lives and and say, imitate Jeff. Lord, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Let me begin this way. 
For those of you that have been around young people, if you hang around young people and you're with them a lot, have you ever noticed how all of a sudden your language changes? Have you ever noticed your behavior becomes different than it was previously? Have you ever noticed that that place that you immerse yourself and that place that you live and that place that you dwell and that thing that you undertake all of a sudden starts to wear off on you? Amen? I don't know why I say cool. I don't know why I say, that's right. I don't know why I don't finish my sentences. I don't know why I reach for my cell phone to text somebody that I'm standing next to. You see, what happens, because I am a camp director by day, is I imitate people that I'm around all the time and the way they talk and act and speak. So for purpose of illustration, guess what happens if you're around Jesus a lot? You start to talk, and you start to act, and you start to be, and you start to look like Jesus. The only way for us to be able to be imitated in this sense is for us to spend time with Jesus. To be in His Word, and to be studying. It's what we're doing this morning, prayerfully. But it should be something that's more than just a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. It should be something that is part of your daily existence. Because if you are not in Christ and being that representative of what He is by virtue of imitation yourself, then if someone imitates you, they're not really imitating Jesus, they're imitating you. And we want people to be able to imitate us, notice what it says in verse 1, just as I also imitate Christ. So who is Paul saying to imitate? Christ. Not really Paul. Paul is just simply doing all he can to be just like Jesus. That's the picture here. And that is the picture that we need to present to the world. Because I have my quirks, my faults, and my weaknesses, and so do you. Amen? You can say amen. You do. You have things about you that are not really like Jesus. And you really don't want people imitating those things. As I've shared with you before, it it pains me deeply to to watch my sons drive like I do. They're out of the way, you idiot. I go, oh, no, I taught them that. They're imitating me. You see, that's not the Lord. The Lord would go, hmm, pull over now. (laughs) No, you you get the analogy. Where you spend your time, your talent, your treasure, your effort, your energy, eventually becomes you, and that's what people imitate. For good or for bad. Notice he says, actually in this, in this case, and it's correctly translated, it says, just as I also imitate Christ there in verse 1. It doesn't say Jesus, and there's a reason for that. At this time... The Gospels had not yet even actually been codified and authored. They were not in circulation. And so what people knew about Jesus actually came from their understanding of the Messiah, the Christ of the Old Testament. And so what he was looking back on was everything that the Old Testament said about the Messiah, who he would be. You you see, we get the same picture in both books, but at this time he's being absolutely truthful. He's saying most of what you know about Jesus, whom you haven't met yet, and his letters haven't been circulated, called the Gospels, what you know is mostly from the Old Testament. What do we know about Jesus from the Old Testament? He was a servant. He came to ransom the lives of many. He was a humble high priest of heaven who came into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. You see, what we know about Jesus is immense from the Old Testament. He hadn't been born yet, but we knew who he was, what he would do. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to live his life and to spend his life so that you and I could have life. We know that from the Old Testament, not just the New They're saying, imitate me as I imitate the Messiah of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. Imitate me as I imitate to my very best of my ability, the Lord God himself. He says, now, brethren, verse 2, I praise you. 
that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Why could he say that? Because what he had delivered, he himself did not author. He was passing along what he had gotten from the apostles themselves, what he had gotten from the Lord himself, how he had derived those things was that he spent time with God. He didn't all of a sudden decide, hey, you know, I like this particular thought. Let me expound on it. I'm going to write a book, and I'll sell it over here in the Corinthian bookstore. He, he, he got these things from the Lord. It wasn't some self-help thing. It wasn't a self-realization fellowship. It was not his own mind's doing. He received what he passed on from God himself. And here's why this is, this is so important. Do you remember what Jesus declared? We've shared it so many times here in this fellowship. Jesus in John 14, verse 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You have to have all three. You cannot just have the way without the truth. You won't have the life without the truth and the way. You have to have all of it. The result is, and no one comes to the Father but by me, he said. And so here's why this is important. What he's saying is, what I authored in my word, which is the truth, is what you are. You don't get an opportunity to define yourself. I have defined you by what I have said about me and about my creation. As a Christian, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, the old things have passed away, and all things, it says, we'll get to in the next book, have become new. So, in essence, we already know what we're supposed to look like. It's found in God's Word. We know we're supposed to be gentle and kind and joyous and long-suffering and peaceable and all of these things that are the content of God's Word with regard to who God is. That's truth. Can I share with you that living truth and being someone worthy of imitation has a very broad connotation, and it is not the connotation of our world, which is all-inclusive lovey-dovey. That's not taught in your Bible, by the way. Let me show you. I'll give you two examples, both from Scripture, both from the life of Jesus. You see, to be truth is not necessarily to be accepting of everything. Here's how I know this, because Jesus was absolutely not accepting of everything. He was accepting of all who repented. He was unaccepting of people who did not repent. Proof. The woman at the well, caught in the midst of the act of adultery. The men bring her, throw her at the foot of Jesus. She's not been with one man, two men. She has supposedly six husbands. She's not even married to the guy she's with now. Bad situation. But her heart is broken. How do we know it was broken? Because of what she did. She went after her confrontation with Jesus and said, Come meet this guy who I know is the Messiah of glory. But what was said to her by Jesus was this. Tossed at his feet. The guys are standing there. Come on, what do you say? I mean, we caught her. She's guilty as all get out. You need to do something about it. What does Jesus do? He starts writing in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. Probably the sins of the men. Probably the little things in their life that weren't right with him. And one by one, the story says, Jesus spoke it himself that they went away. Amen? Until, hey, woman, where's your accusers? She said, would you get up? I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. You see, Jesus spoke the truth to her in love. But can I say to you that Jesus always spoke the truth? Our definition of love in our world is, it has to be just like that. But can I say to you, Jesus, then we have another example from his baptism. 
And he's been in the water with John the Baptist. He himself has been baptized. The Holy Spirit has descended upon him as a dove. He gets out of the water. He's standing on the shore. And here comes a bunch of hypocrites known as Pharisees. And they're coming down and they look at Jesus. They go, could you baptize us too? Because we want to, whatever we got, we're already better than you. And so we want to add this whole baptism thing to it so people really think we're spiritual. And he looks at them and he says, Who told you to come here to this, you brood of vipers? First go and do the works of repentance, and then you come back and get baptized. Same guy said the same situations, very different tact. Amen? So I say to you that the truth in love can also be really strong. Because Jesus was always love, was he not? When he flipped over the money changers' tables, do you think he was angry to sin? I say to you, no, he wasn't. I say he spoke the truth, and it was more loving to flip over the table than it was to let them continue doing what they were doing. So don't make the mistake of political correctness in not speaking the truth in love. We want it to be as gentle as we possibly can, for sure. But you cannot, you are not, you should not, and I will not take the truth out of the equation because to do so does not leave love at all. It leaves a lie. And there are very few things that are as unloving as a lie. Amen? That's the basis of the rest of this passage. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, Christ of the Old Testament. Be ye therefore holy as I am holy. For in the beginning... The Word was God, and the Word was with God. And in the beginning, there was nothing that was created that was created without Him. For all things were created by Him, and through Him were all things created. You see, this world is His world. He calls the shots. It's His place. He defines gender roles. He defines what a man is and what a woman is. He is the one who defined the biblical definition of marriage. Not me, not the church. God did. And so as we look at the remainder of this, it's really in the context of, do you really want to come into church looking like someone who cannot be discerned from a temple prostitute? Do you really want to come into church looking like someone who cannot be discerned, whether you're male or female, when in the beginning God made them male and female? Do you really want to say that your truth supersedes God's truth? I don't. He's the one that said those things, not Jeff. He declared them plainly in his word, and we need to do them. It's not up to us to decide what we believe is the definition or what we believe is a new truth. God already spoke the truth. That is the truth, and that is the truth that I will speak from this pulpit. And so he goes on. Now, in this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And by the way, that's a totally common theme throughout the New Testament. Matthew's gospel records it about Jesus. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He said, imitate me. Paul said in the book that he wrote to the Philippians, the Thessalonians, to Timothy, Peter said in his epistle, imitate me as I imitate Christ. God's our example. And the chief way that we know what God looks like, how he functions, how he acts, what he wants, what he says, all those things is from his word. It's not a tough concept to understand. And as we do that, we're able to imitate those who are faithfully being an imitation. One of the reasons that we spend so much money in in detecting counterfeit is because it looks just like the real thing. Amen? You know, if you pulled up a a $20 bill and it had my face on it, you'd know something's wrong. Amen? Never been a president of the United States. You know, you'd you'd go, wow, that's a Jeff 20. That's like... 
totally heinous. You'd throw that thing away. But if on there is Andrew Jackson, you're going to go, well, it's Andrew Jackson. But if it was purple, you'd go, no, they're not supposed to be purple. They're green, unless you're Chuck, you're colorblind, and then it doesn't matter what color they are. Just be any color and be fine. But you see, the more like the real thing it is, the harder it is to distinguish. Can I say to you, that's exactly how you're supposed to be. When you train, if you go to Quantico, Virginia, and you're in the the training facility for the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the way that they teach you how to distinguish counterfeit money is by handling the real thing. You'll go there and you'll spend your time handling real hundreds and real twenties and feeling the, the paper and looking at the actual bill itself, the real deal, so that when one comes to you that's not real, you can tell by touch, you can tell by texture, you can tell by the colors, you can tell by the images, everything about it screams out, it's not real. You see why the purpose of imitation is so important. So when someone touches your life, someone looks at your life, examines the colors of your life, looks at who you are and what you do and how you say it, you must speak the truth because Jesus is truth. You're showing them the way because he's the only way. You're showing them the life because he's the only life. You, you see, you're supposed to be so close to the original that people can handle you and feel you and talk to you. And again, I'm not getting touchy-feely here and encouraging you to start grabbing each other. But what I am saying to you is if you're the real deal, when your life comes in contact with other people, they're going to see Jesus. Not Jeff. And so he proceeds now to move on to the strange passage of the month alert. Hair. Now, I'm personally jealous of this passage because it talks about men having to choose between long hair and short. I'd love to have that opportunity again. I don't know what it's like, but right now, not a problem for me. So is it really that You ladies need to go, and next week I want you all in bonnets. You need to look like nice Amish ladies. I don't think so. But I do know that he was using this analogy for a very important reason in Corinth. Remember what I said, context is everything. And at that point in time, there was a huge problem. Because husbands, let me speak to you very clearly. Men, if you're in a relationship and you have a fiancé, maybe you have a, a girlfriend that you're leaning towards marriage in. If I came to you and I go, man, it's so awesome, your wife just looks just like a prostitute. First, you're going to punch me out. Okay, Then you're going to have some words for me, right? Now, why would that be? Because you don't want your wife, your daughter, you don't want your fiancé, you wouldn't want your girlfriend to look anything like someone who could be associated with a lifestyle that doesn't imitate Christ. Amen? We're supposed to be imitators of Christ. Amen? So in everything we do, whether it's in our clothes, our manner of dress, our speech, those things should all be ways for people to look at your life and go, Jesus. That was a problem in Corinth. That's why he says, I'm so glad, dear friends, that you always keep me in your thoughts. You're following the Christian teaching I passed on to you. And so now he's going to respond to a letter he got. So this passage pertains to, specifically, the church at Corinth. Verse 3, And now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. Let me help you with a little diagram here. Head of every man is Christ. So underneath Christ is man, underneath woman is, or underneath man is woman. So who's the head of both? Christ. Amen? It's simply rank. has nothing to do with value is not ladies are lesser than. There, that is just an idiot speaking that says to you, 
well, you know, women are just not as smart, or women are too emotional, or women this or women that. If you have that view and you came in this morning, you need to change it because it's not true and it's not what the Bible declares, period. I have seen women who are smarter than I ever will be. I have talked to them. I learn very deep things from my wife that I myself am incapable of understanding until she explains it to me. Can I tell you that? I listened to her teaching on Rahab last week in preparation for this particular message. I'm going, man, I never saw that. It is nothing to do with inferior, superior. It has everything to do with God establishing an order. That's all it is. Co-equals, and he's going to explain this throughout this remaining time that we have this morning. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. The head of Christ is God. And so here's the structure, this order. Very similar to this. In our United States military, there is rank. Amen? You got up here, you got the four-star, you got the guys at the Pentagon. You got the chief of staff. You got the commander-in-chief, president of the United States. Beneath him, a series of generals. Are they not all human beings? On the battlefield, everyone's life is exactly of the same value, but they do not have the same place in the battlefield. They have different ranks. Their purpose, if you will, is different, but their value is exactly the same. No one's life is worth more than anyone else's life, be it male, female, general, or private. That's the picture that's painted here. This, you need to understand, was unbelievably revolutionary at the time, and that's why this is said this way. Because at the time these words were written, woman was inferior to man. In the Greek society, the Roman society, and in the previous societies, the Medes, Persians, Babylonians, Assyrians, and Egyptians, the woman was inferior So he's actually making exactly the opposite distinction that is commonly assigned to this passage of Scripture. He's not saying woman's underneath man and thereby less value. He's saying that in Christ we all have our place and that makes us co-equals. It's a huge difference. And so the error is being corrected. You see, what he's really saying is, let's take a look at this problem that you have. Verse 4, because Paul wasn't concerned with the submission of women. That's not what he's addressing here. He's addressing a very specific problem. For every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. In that period of time, in that culture, a man would show his hair, especially if he was aged, because the gray hair was a sign of wisdom. And so the man kept his head uncovered so that all could see that he had lived a life of sufficient length, that he had wisdom and he was to be honored. And so hair was believed on a man at that point in time to be something that would be a signifier that that person should be listened to. And so you can see how he's beginning to paint this picture of let's not do anything that dishonors any of us. That we don't want to dishonor the Lord by dishonoring our own selves. And so he's not talking about, oh, well, from then till now, man, the dude that comes in and he's wearing a ball cap. I had a guy for service. Oh, should I take off my ball cap? If you feel it stumbling you or someone else, then in Jesus' name, fine. But as far as God's concerned, we have no such stigma in our culture about wearing a ball cap. Sometimes I'd like to put one on. It'd probably save you guys' eyeballs from having the glare off my head. That's not the issue. But it did at that time very much distinguish whether someone was a wise individual or not. And so he's speaking to that problem that he was, he was addressing. And every woman who noticed this, and I want you to underline the word prophesies, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, it is just as though her head were shaved. What he's saying is, make note of this, 
that in the church service, women were praying and prophesying. And in this case, it was not prophesying as in future telling. It was prophesying as in speaking forth the word of God. And so in a service in church, a woman was teaching a man. (gasps) No. You mean a woman was teaching a man? Uh Uh-huh. And if they have any brains, they were listening. You see, Scripture does not ever teach that a woman cannot teach a man. It isn't there. What it does say is in the beginning, God created the male and female. And he's given certain roles to the man and certain roles to the woman. And in church, as far as the role of pastor, that has clearly been given to men. But not teaching. Hate to tell you this, you got kids here and they're male. They're being taught by ladies because they're the ones that sign up for children's ministry. Amen? You take all the women teachers out of the world from the Word of God... It's a bad place. Not good. Furthermore, as I shared with you, I listen to my wife's studies. I glean from them. I have been taught and ministered to by ladies. And so what he's doing is he's putting aside all these dumb cultural stigmas. He says, you guys are used to when a lady comes into church, she's inferior. What he's saying is, she's equal. Place? Absolutely. Role? You better believe it. In order? Absolutely. But not inferior like she used to be. Be just as though her head was shaved. And what he's referring to here is in that time, time, it would have been very irreverent. Back to my analogy of you men, you bring your wives to church, what last thing you want anybody doing is thinking the wrong thing about them, Amen. You ladies, I would assume that would be true of you. It should be true of us men. And so what he's really saying is, make sure that you're doing everything you do so that people can imitate you and they see Jesus. So let's not dress like the temple prostitutes. Let's not act like who we are not anymore. Let's not use language that isn't befitting the king. Let's not dress in a provocative way. Let's make sure that modesty is the norm. You you see how this applies. We need to look at it in the context of what was being said. And what he was saying was, you ladies are in a new place. Let's be careful we don't take that newness of that liberty and abuse it. God doesn't want us to, to bring shame even inadvertently to him. Or to ourselves. He's concerned with how people think about you. He is concerned how people think about us as a church. And it's not to spin off in some legalistic rant. It's simply to say, Christ is holy. And as his children, be ye therefore holy as he is holy. That's what we're supposed to do. And so if it doesn't look that way, you probably want to change the way you dress. If it doesn't appear that way to others, then maybe you ought to think about your hairstyle. And he's going to go on to add some things to this, this whole view. So the general principle here is is propriety. The general principle here is the distinction between men and women. It is okay to distinguish between men and women. Frankly, I am sick to death of men have to be women and women have to be men and you can't tell anymore because it's not God's plan. And when we try and propagate that mentality or cave in to the blending of the genders, we're telling God you didn't know what you were doing. And so we're fixing it. We're going to make men women and women men and it does not work. He's going to go on and give some correction to this whole issue. And so here the ladies were being set free. They needed to dress more modestly. They needed to make sure they weren't associated with that old way of life. They needed to change their behaviors. They needed to be very careful about what they wore, not because of legalism, but because of association. Now you realize what I said when I talked about imitation. What you imitate 
is who people think you are like and what you what they think you represent. That's why when people use language that's inappropriate for God's kids and God's king and God's kingdom, people automatically think, oh, I hope God doesn't approve of that. We need to be careful. We need to make sure that we're taking stock of some of these little things. And so... If a woman, verse 6 now goes on to say, does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved, she should cover her head. He's saying, don't do anything to disgrace the Lord. He's saying, don't buy in to the political and cultural correctness. Don't believe that God wants you to not stand for anything. He wants you to stand for Him. You should be worthy of imitation. That's why it's so important for you ladies to teach our young ladies how to dress. It is so important for us men to raise men as sons. But make no mistake, my sons need my wife's influence. Amen? Otherwise they will become carnivore barbarians. If my sons were raised just by me, Oh, they could probably survive a nuclear holocaust much like a cockroach. But as far as reacting to people's difficulties and pains and stresses in life, that part of their character really came more from Connie than it did from me. I'm good at the linear things. I'm good at the the principles and all of that stuff that makes you tough and have that fortitude and all those kind of things. But as far as being sensitive... Ain't happening. That's just not me. But men, we need to be sensitive. We need to have emotions. We need to be able to say, you know what? Those things I also lack, and God's provided them through my wife. Let me go a little deeper. There are things that I understand about life very specifically because Connie has instructed me in those things. She has wisdom I don't have in certain areas of life. She has the ability to wait much longer than I can. I am one of those people, okay, that's one, two, three, four, okay, that's the four points, okay, five is the result, and I just, okay, points to this. She has helped me to learn how to wait and hear quietly from the Lord. She has helped me with my own personality of recognizing that I have some weaknesses that I don't see. God, help us to, to, to realize we need each other as husband and wife and that the gender roles are immensely important and without them we do not have the fullness of God's plan in view in married life. That is why God made marriage to be a man and a woman. And it's not up to mankind to redefine that it's two men, two women, or any combination thereof other than one man, one woman. God did that. Not Jeff, not the church. God said in the beginning, saw Adam's loneliness, said, I will make a helpmate, that word meaning completion, who's comparable to you, and I will put you together so that the two shall become one flesh. He's going to go on and elaborate on this. He said, a man ought to not cover his head since he's the image and the glory of God. Interesting statement, but the woman is the glory of man. He's going to just simply repeat what God did. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. All he's saying is, this is what God did. This is how he did it. Again, it doesn't say better, worse, more value, less value. It simply says, here's what happened. This is how I created mankind. Right from Genesis chapter 2. Since so the Lord God called the man to fall into deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of his ribs and closed the place of the flesh, and the Lord God made woman from man. It's that simple. He's not talking about something, well, you know, see, she's less because she came out of me, and I'm superior. 
just simply says, this is what I did. And for this reason, because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. What he's saying is, is in my created order, in the time that you live and where you are right now, because the angels are watching and they're created beings, as they look down from heaven, they ought to be able to tell who's a man and who's a woman. Because that's what God did. That's how he created mankind. It's important to understand that that stipulation at that time was because there was a problem figuring out who was a man, who was a woman, who was a prostitute, and who was not. That's not healthy for any church, and it sure isn't healthy for worship. Can you imagine how many people would be sitting around? And this is why, and I want to, without casting dispersion on anyone, if someone comes into this church and they're dressed in such a way that you, you think that they might have an inappropriate reason for being here, is that not going to be a distraction? Let's take it off of this subject matter. Say somebody comes in and they're dressed in black fatigues and they've got a gun slung over their shoulder and they've got a big fatty swastika up here on their chest. I'm pretty much thinking you guys aren't going to remember a word I said, okay? You're not. You're going to be looking, when's that dude going to get up and kill somebody? Let me give you another one. Somebody comes in and they come down here in the front row and they've got their little organ thing and they're grinding and the monkey's running around the sanctuary going, (laughs) selling peanuts. Probably not going to remember what was going on in the service, okay? Yeah, we went to this church and they got an organ grinder and a monkey. Let me give you another one. Somebody's back there in the back and they're, they've been to in and out I know, this is the worst. And they're back there with their bags of burgers and they're chowing down on one of those burgers and you can smell the grilled onions and I know it's close to lunchtime, that's why I'm doing this. And they're just, oh, they're going, mm, oh man, this is awesome. And they dig into their fries and there's ketchup dripping down to their elbows and they suck back in that luscious chocolate shake. You guys are remembering nothing of what I have said. You're all, your minds are enraptured with hamburgers and organ grinders and the dude with the camo. I'm not going to remember what I said. I'm going to be after the burger. My point is this. Now, in this culture, there were no in and outs. There was no Aryan Brotherhood. We didn't have circuses at the time. But what they did have was a temple which was served by prostitutes. And that was where everybody went who wasn't walking with the Lord. And so if you brought that into the church, what the people were going to remember is, man, I I went to that church, yeah, they left the prostitutes in there, and I guess they, you know, whatever. No one would remember a thing about what happened in church. And so he's simply saying, let's make sure church is about Jesus. Let's make sure that church is about the Word of God being preached and Christ being emulated so he can be imitated. Amen? That's what he's saying. And so the Lord draws attention. Verse 11. We'll wrap this up very quickly now. But in relationships among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men. So there goes the whole feminist movement. Amen? Right out the window. Guess what's coming next? And men are not independent of women. So the whole male chauvinist thing, out the window. You get the picture? It's not one's better than the other. We're not independent. It's not one needs to be and the other one not, or one superior and one inferior. It's not that at all. We need each other. And he draws attention to why. For although the first woman came from man, all men have been born of woman ever since. Guys, you all got moms. If you don't have a mom, you're an alien. (laughs) Goes on to say, everything comes from God. He says there's no other way. It's how the Lord purposed all of this to work. There is nobody that's exempt. And so we men should all be going around, praise God for women. I'd have no life apart from my mom. I would not be here today. 
She carried my silly carcass around for nine months, brought me into this world. I know that wasn't easy, and I certainly couldn't do it myself. He's saying we need each other. Don't ever forget that. And we need each other to be exactly as God created us, men and women. You get the picture? The genders are God's plan. They're supposed to be different. Judge for yourself if it's proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered. He says this isn't really about head covering. This is about God's created order. And this is about us honoring the Lord. And this is about us worshiping the true and the living God. And this is about doing everything we can so that when we come to church, we walk out a little more able to be imitated. Because we're more like Jesus. It's not about men being superior or women being superior or whether your hair is long or short. He says, does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? I'd like to have the opportunity to decide. I grew up in that day and time. I mean, my, my poor father-in-law called me hippie boy. You know, it's like I'd come and my hair was down. To, I had flowing locks, okay? There's evidence down in the office. You can go visit it. Leave your donations there, though, for my implants. Yeah, but you know what? I kind of look like a girl. I wouldn't have said that then. I'll tell you that now. Matter of fact, I'd probably have hair if I hadn't done that. That's a weight. I just pulled it all out, I think. And it's a disgrace to him. You see, in that culture, for a guy to have long hair was not like he was today. Oh, look, Fabio. Then it was like, oh, no, it's a he-dude-she thing, guy. So I don't know what that is. It was a disgrace. And so in that culture, it's not so much in ours, but in that culture, it was a huge deal. And he was saying, make sure that what you're doing doesn't stumble people. Remember the context of the first last three chapters? Don't do anything that stumbles your weaker brother. So let's let women be women, amen? And men be men, amen? That's okay. That's the way God made us. But if a woman has long hair, it's for her glory. For the long hair was given to her as a covering. You see, there was a huge difference then. And it did make a difference. And we were to honor that difference and should honor that difference. We're not to blur the lines of distinct, distinction. We're not to say, well, you know, a healthy married couple can be two guys. It can't. It can't. God ordained marriage. God put together a man and a woman for the continuance of society and for the establishment, furthermore, of his designed purpose of headship. That's what's emulated in your marriages. Your marriage is a picture of God's kingdom, if you didn't know that. God created that order and that structure. Just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all interact but are yet equal, so in marriage is the man and the woman co-equals. And for that purpose, the two of them have the opportunity to join God in the creative act of bringing further life to this planet and thereby opportunity for that person to name the name of Christ and to be saved and to, in essence, be a part of God's plan. So what God is saying is, don't mess with my plan. My plan is man, woman, who join together, make a family unit. And anything that blurs that line is not from the Lord. So we need to be careful. We need to be able to be imitated. And that's why it is so important that in our day and time that we stand for what God stands for. The church should only have one opinion on gay marriage. Hear me well. Not because we hate people with same-sex attraction. Not because we are gay bashers, 
not because we don't love people who are caught up in a lifestyle that the scriptures plainly declare as sin, but because God's plan is for marriage to be between a man and a woman. It's the only, that's the only way it's ever been from his perspective. doesn't mean you hate anybody. It means you agree with what God's word says. That's the opinion every church in America should have. It shouldn't even be contested. But if we don't agree with God, then what we're saying is, God, everything you said is up to us to determine whether we like it or not or whether we agree with it or not. Can I say to you that there's no end to that logic? If it's true, if it's true that we are the determiners of what's right and wrong, it's not God's word, it's not truth spoken in love, and I believe I've spoken this message in love. If it's not God's truth, then why is murder wrong? Why is hatred wrong? Why is racism wrong? Why is thievery wrong? Because some people say it is? I say to you, God's the one that's established these things. He's the one that's told us how to live our lives. And we're supposed to imitate him so others can imitate us imitating him. That's God's plan for society. Imitate Jesus. Amen? Amen. We get that from his word. Amen? If we live that, then the world gets the right view. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. And Lord, we want to just pray. God, help the church to stand strong. Lord, help us to be found bathed in your word and clothed in your righteousness. Lord, help us to stand for what you stand for. Help us to live for what you live for. Lord, help us to speak the truth in love. Help us to love truthfully. And Father God, we ask that you would just minister the truths of your word through us to this world. Lord, we pray that what we do and say every day would bring you glory and honor and praise. Lord, help us to never shame your name. Lord, not in what we wear. Lord, not in how we adorn ourselves. Lord, not in our speech. Not even in the deep recesses of our minds, God. Help us to be worthy of others imitating our our walks in you. We bless you, we praise you, we thank you. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.